The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's financial objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should obtain independent advice before making any financial decision. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Stock Doc. I'm Dr. Nigel Finch. And joining me from Sydney is John Raymond, Chief Executive Officer of ASX-listed fintech, Identity Limited, under the ASX ticker code ID8. Now, before we start, I need to disclose that I am a shareholder in Identity. So, welcome, John. You're uh, the new CEO um, in the role at Identity. Can you start off by telling us a little bit about your prior experience in scaling financial services and fintech businesses? Sure. Um, and Nigel, thanks very much for having me on the show. Um, I guess of, of relevance to identity um, is probably the last nine or 10 years in particular of my career. I spent all of 2019 in London um, working in the startup scene. And I was working with young entrepreneurs who had uh, you know, great ideas, but were struggling to turn them into compelling stories that they were able to sell to enterprise and consumer customers uh, and to seed and venture capitalists for early stage investment. Uh, and before that, I spent nine years with TravelX, uh, the world's leading foreign exchange specialist, and I worked in their enterprise business where they used supply chain capability, uh, technology, um, and in-house compliance monitoring tools to provide payments and currency services to mostly banks um, in different countries around the world. And I started at TravelX running that business for them in Australia and New Zealand. Uh, then I moved to Tokyo to run the business for Asia Pacific. And then I ran the North American business. And then I moved to London to run that business globally. Oh, John, just just at this point, just for listeners who don't know, can you just explain who TravelX is and what they do? Sure. TravelX is a global uh, foreign exchange business um, started in 1976 um, by the founder, uh, Sir Lloyd Dorfman in the United Kingdom uh, and has grown through uh, success and a bunch of merger and acquisition opportunities and some uh, private equity backing to be the world's largest foreign exchange specialist with presence in 77 countries, um, trading payments and currencies um, with uh, in financial institutions, uh, post offices, supermarkets, and I think about 40 million retail customers, its own retail customers a year. Mm. And we're going to delve into what identity does very shortly, but just reflecting on your time with TravelX, what uh, what skills do you think will be transferable from your experience with TravelX over to Identity? Um, I, the, the customer set's the same. Uh, I spent seven of my nine years at TravelX, as I said, working in their enterprise business, solving problems, using technology to solve problems for financial institutions, um, small financial institutions right up to tier one global banks. Um, so I'm familiar with what it takes to understand um, and uncover and solve a problem for a financial institution. Um, and I'm familiar with um, how to pitch the story. And I'm also familiar with uh, how to be competitive in the, the tendering, usually an RFI or an RFP process, and then turning that into a, um, and turning that into a live deal. 
My spies uh, tell me that you have another skill as well, and uh, you touched on it working in London with the uh, startups. You've no doubt uh, learned a lot about founders and uh, some of the challenges that they may present. Um, how are you going working with Nick Armstrong, who co-founded Identity with uh, Eric Knight, Dr. Eric Knight? Yeah, look, I joined Identity for three reasons. First of all, because I was introduced to Nick by a close mutual friend of his and mine. And it's always nice to have a, a warm introduction. I joined Identity for the second reason that um, I have my own network um, in the banking space around the world that had validated Identity's um, proposition and said, actually, that's a, a very compelling business proposition. If they can do what it says on the tin, um, that's a very promising business. But thirdly, having spent a number of hours with Nick before we decided to work with each other, I, uh, I, I it, it struck me that Nick was um, very cognizant of both his strengths and the areas where he needed help as a as a young entrepreneur. And that, in my experience, is not a common trait um, in the startup scene. Um, and I, you know, I just thought there's a guy that, um, knows what he's good at and can run off and do that and knows what he needs support with. Um, and I, I would hope that that's where I'd be able to help. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, scaling financial services businesses profitably is, uh, is, is certainly the right skill set that you bring. Now, can you just explain, uh, to our listeners what identity does and how you deliver value to your clients and make money for your shareholders sure identity solves the problem that the information needed to process and report financial transactions around the world is often incomplete inaccurate or even missing and i'm sure um, everyone on the who's listening to the podcast can think of at least one example of where they have um, tried to pay for something or rescind or receive money um, and there's been a subsequent request for further information to help the payment move freely from point A to point B. And we help solve that pain point and that pain point shows up in payments being held up around the world. It shows up in um, regulators handing out increased fines to financial institutions all around the world, which ends up being paid for by the customers. And in some cases, it even facilitates financial crime. So what's so important about moving data around with these uh, financial transactions? Well, it's, it, 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 it's because the financial, the financial industry around the world or the financial services industry around the world is becoming increasingly aware of financial crime, um, anti-money laundering and counter-terrorism financing. And that the information required to prove who is sending a transaction and who is receiving a transaction is increasing. And you know, it's important that um, that information flows alongside the money to make sure that the money gets to where it needs it's needed to fast enough. And the issue that we're solving for at the moment is that quite more often than not, most of the technology systems that are involved in sending and receiving both the money and the messages around the world are, can be in some cases decades old. And they're more often than not a collection of hundreds of different individual systems that don't very well talk to each other, let alone make it easy for a bank or a financial institution to get a single view of all of its transaction information. And when you don't have a single view of all your transaction information, it makes it very hard to be able to send, capture and send uh, or capture and receive um, 
the right amount of data that's needed to help money move around the world. And John, who are your target customers and why will they buy your solution? Well, look, our, our, our target customers are predominantly financial institutions uh, and anybody really working in the financial services industry, uh, large money service businesses, cross-border payments companies. Um, and they will purchase uh, from us or they'll take our solution or they'll help us, allow us to help them solve their problems, probably a better way of putting it, because they are facing increasing pressure from both their regulators and their customers to see more information with financial transactions around the world. Uh, and that's what we do. We use uh, a, a technology that we've built here in Australia to overlay existing technology so that our target customers don't have to go through costly and risky uh, and complex IT change programs and that they can just take something relatively off the shelf, overlay it over the top of their existing technology stacks and quickly, easily and efficiently suddenly get all of the information they need to keep money moving around the world. And there's uh, your most recent uh, presentation, um gave a, a great explanation of, uh, of the company and, and what it does, but it also brought to your uh, viewers' attention the size of this addressable market. So can you just talk about the, the, the quantum of what we're talking about here? Yeah, we're solving a number of key problems around the world, but I think probably one of the biggest opportunities for us is to help the 11,000 financial institutions that are members of the global SWIFT messaging network um, to become compliant with the new ISO 20022 standard, um, which comes into force for those 11,000 financial institutions over time, beginning next year and through out 20 to 2025. Um, and that's a program of work to, uh, to enrich the payment message um, that support that goes along the uh, that goes along with money as it moves around the world. Now you're t- taking identity from its startup stage, um, and it's you know certainly poised to make the next step. Can you explain what is involved in scaling a business such as identity? Yeah, sure. I mean, scaling it, it's at its I guess at its core is the growing out the number of people that are interested in buying your goods and service your products and services. Um, so, you know, we will have a we have a uh, a very heavy focus on scaling out the number of enterprise customers uh, that we bring onto the platform, and we're going to do that through a, a, a mixture of direct and indirect selling. Um, and what I mean by that is that direct from a direct selling perspective, we have and will continue to have our own team of enterprise salespeople um, and technical pre-sales people uh, out in the marketplace, meeting and interacting with potential pro- uh, potential business partners, helping uncover their problems for them and um, helping find ways for our technology to solve the problems for them. And that will account for some of our growth, but probably the big, or not probably, the, the much larger component of our growth will come from our um, interfacing or interaction with our partner program. And this is where we are seeking to partner with other technology providers to financial institutions and work alongside them um, to provide collaborative or complementary solutions to um, problems that a financial services industry faces. And we've got a couple of those partnerships that we're particularly excited about. 
Uh, one is with R3, uh, which is a, an enterprise blockchain company headquartered in New York, and another one called Symphony, um, which is a technology company providing secure chat and AML and compliance tools for about 400 enterprise customers that has about 45,000 users sending 60 million messages a month to each other. So are you focusing your expansion strategy on a particular geographic market? Yeah, I might have answered that differently prior to the last three months, um, if I'm really honest with you, Nigel. But I think COVID-19 has certainly taught us, uh, if not most of the enterprise world, um, that you know we can do business over Zoom. Uh, and I don't think that I think we I think uh, we th- probably think slightly differently about our target market now or our, our plans to scale and the markets that we're interested in scaling in. And I I feel more optimistic about. Um, entering into other markets um, because of the ease of which you can do that through you know today's video conferencing tools. Mm. John, you talk about enterprise selling, but I also know that you come from you know this extensive background um, um, where that's precisely what you have been doing um, in financial services and fintech. Can you talk to us about your you know, your sales methodology of enterprise selling. What does enterprise selling mean for you? Enterprise selling for me means um, working collaboratively with a prospect um, to uncover the problems that they have in their business and then trying to find a way to uh, solve those problems for them in a, in a, a cost-effective, risk-free uh, or a lower-risk approach. Um, for me, it's it's very much a, a consultative process, um, and very much a process where you are uh, trying to find ways to trying to find ways to fit your solution to problems that exist in the marketplace, as opposed to, um, for example, building something and hoping people will buy it. So perhaps less of a focus on the 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 product or the problem, and more of a focus on the solution. Yeah, I guess in the old days, the sales mantra was, if you build it, they will come. And I guess today's enterprise selling, or for me, enterprise selling is about, as I go back to what I said at the beginning of the question, which is it's about working collaboratively with the type of people that you'd like to be in business with and then helping them diagnose and solve their problems. So, John, you, you've, you've come on board and you've also just recently completed a 1.9 mil, uh, mil um, capital raise in May. So, look, well done for that, particularly in these somewhat uncertain times. Um, and can you tell us a little bit about the challenges in capital raising um, and also the support that you found from institutional backers such as KTM Capital? Yeah, look, I mean... Who could have forecast what type of year we would be having in 2020? I mean, you know, we we moved back from the United Kingdom at the end of last year, and we, you know, we're not even halfway through the year yet, and we've faced in this country in particular bushfires, floods, and and of course we've been part of the global pandemic. So, um, you know, the market has understandably been uh, disrupted um, and very unpredictable, and that's made it very difficult to uh, to to raise capital. Um, but we have got um, 
a core group of um, shareholders that believe in us. Uh, and you mentioned one of them. There are, there are, of course, others. Yeah. Um, and we've got, a, as I said, we've got a core group of shareholders that believe in us and believe in the story um, and believe in the board and believe in the team um, and are willing to support us. And I think that bodes well for us um, and certainly gives us the comfort that we have what we need to get to our, our next milestone in the company's growth curve, um, at, at which point we'll be looking to close out several promising conversations that we've already started with um, some strategic funders. And look, it may very well be, as you, you already touched on this, using Zoom, um, you know, that some of the learnings that have come out of this COVID-19 for, for your team is that, um, you know, maybe they don't need to be gun shy about reaching out to all corners of the globe in terms of, um, you know, trying to nurture prospects. Yeah. I, I, again, I, I, if nothing else, COVID-19 has t- certainly taught identity um, that, you know, we can conduct business um, over, over the video, uh, over a video conference call. And I think COVID-19 has probably actually provided us with, with several tailwinds. Um, you know, we have, we were always going to do a, a significant cost review pro- cost reduction program this year as we pivoted from uh, our operating model in 2019, which was heavy investment in R&D, uh, towards our operating model in 2020, which is a, a much slimmed down version of our operating costs, much more focused on selling as opposed to product development. Um, so, you know, COVID-19 probably gave us a little bit of assistance in, in conducting that cost out program. Um, but the other thing that COVID-19 has helped us with is we are seeing a number of conversations from prospective partners um, that we weren't anticipating where people have come out and approached us or re-approached us because we'd met them last year or the year before and re-engage with us on uh, to collaborate solving problems with them because they are now more resource constrained and have had to allocate capital elsewhere. But of course, the problem uh, the problem still exists and they need the problem solved. Back to my comment earlier that the pressure on them from government regulators and their customers to solve the problems is still there. And so the notion of partnering with a fintech to provide a quick, nimble um, and flexible solution, it suddenly becomes a lot more appealing than potentially building it themselves. So, John, what metrics or milestones should investors be looking at to better understand the progress that you're making um, and also the valuation of the company? Look, I think it's pretty simple. Investors should be expecting Identity to sign a couple of deals this calendar year um, and to see us. Uh, we, we already have HSBC in, in, the customer, in the customer family and the investors ought to expect Identity to grow that out um, uh, this year and then continue to grow that out next year and of course introduces a back to my strategy around indirect selling and you know towards the end of next year and early towards the end of this year and early next year start to talk to the market about um, doing more with those strategic technology partnerships oh well, if it's that easy then when's your next deal coming Fantastic question. I don't suppose you've got a tip on who's going to win race six at Rose Hill this Saturday as well, do you? No. But certainly I think the announcements that we could expect over the coming quarters are going to be announcements around signing on new financial institutions, new partners. Is that the sort of um, sense that we should be getting? 
yeah, that's certainly the feedback from uh, the current shareholder base and some prospective investors that we've met through the rights issue round. Um, you know, the, the feedback is resounding that, um, you know, in people that are interested in identity, again, both as in, in current and prospective investors, uh, are, are waiting to see us talk to the market about, you know, the next deal and the deal after that and the deal after that. Um, so it, it's pretty clear the job at hand. Mm. Well, uh, no doubt you've been, um, as a new CEO coming into uh, identity, you've been out doing the rounds. So uh, this should be pretty natural to you. I'm going to just put you on the spot. And uh, in 20 seconds or less, can you tell us why investors should uh, be watching identity? Yeah, look, I, I investors should be watching identity because we have a clear plan on how to invest our capital and our resources over the next one, three, and five years. I believe that we are solving a significant pain or a number of significant pain points uh, in the global financial services industry uh, that aren't going to go anywhere and, in fact, are probably only going to intensify as government regulators and corporations demand more and more information with financial transactions. Uh, and we've got a uh, we've got a, a great shareholder registry of of supportive uh, of supportive institutional and and um, retail investors um, who believe in the management team, the board, and believe in the story. Uh, and I think it's a great time to invest in the business uh, at the value that we're at today. And uh, the the future, and certainly our sales pipeline, um, poses a very promising short and medium term future for the company. Well, we wish you all the best in that. So thank you to my guest, John Raymond, Chief Executive Officer of Identity, for joining us for this edition of Stock Doc. And you can stay in touch with us through our Stockhead website. And if you haven't already done so, remember to subscribe to our twice daily newsletter for ASX market coverage, company profiles and industry insights.